0: Time for referees to start reapplying the pressure. Episode 232 with former 32-year NBA official Bill Spooner coming up next. This is Next Level, homie, just watch me. Stay fresh, you ain't gotta look sloppy. Keep your uniforms tucked, this is what you need, huh? Don't delay, now it's time to get neat tucks. From the umpires, referees, and brooms to my ballers, keep the audience watching all your moves. Cause you don't wanna lose, now you looking so official. Gotta get your neat tucks, everybody gotta get them. Neat tucks, you already know what's up. Neat tucks, keeps uniforms tucked. Neat tucks.com. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. The audio experience for basketball officials. Serve the game.
1: The first thing, Paul, is that, you know, you can't take the path of least resistance. We have a saying in the league called, what you permit, you promote. So if you allow something to occur, if you allow a coach to keep stomping his seat and running up and down the sideline, dropping clipboards, we can't have a conversation of one of us is yelling. Let's put the coaches on the spot a little
0: Thanks for joining us on the crown refs podcast and welcome to our mentor groups, special guest for November of 2021. I'm excited to welcome in a husband and a father of three and a recently retired 32 year NBA official who's worked over 1500 regular season games and well over 100 playoff games in his amazing officiating career. It's my pleasure to introduce Mr. Bill Spooner. Bill, how are you, sir?
1: Very well, and it's great to be here. And I didn't, you know, when you said that amount of games, I think that explains why my knees ache every morning, right?
0: You know, I'm sitting here. I'm not a math whiz, but I'm doing a little subtraction and addition, and and I'm looking at your bio here, and I noticed you started officiating in 1973. You stepped away in 2020. So I think that adds up to 47 years as a referee. You've had some serious reps.
1: Yes, yes. I've, I've seen a few plays here and there.
0: You know, as they say, the real work begins when you start your career, as it did for you when you made it to the NBA. You know, a lot of officials listening have big goals in mind, and we always appreciate hearing different origin stories. So maybe you can start us off there and share some of the paths that you took on your journey to the league.
1: Well, uh, you know, like anybody else, I started probably most of us on the call started working kids games. Uh, my dad said to me, you better get a job this summer. And I didn't want to get a real job. So I went out to the park, started refereeing, fell in love with it. Uh, one of the guys told me, um, you know, you're pretty decent because you joined the high school association. So I did when I was done in high school. And um, I went to the, actually went to the very first referee camp there was. And um, I'd seen it at the bottom of what was referee newsletter back then. A black and white newsletter. It said something about a referee camp, and I said, well, I'll give that a shot? What the heck? And I went down there, and I uh, met a bunch of mentors. And you know, I was real fortunate. A lot of them were D1 guys. Uh, they took a liking to me, and I uh, was able to kind of go from the high school to D1, you know, fairly quickly. And then uh the right place at the right time with the NBA, and I uh, didn't screw it up too bad over the years, and so I hung around for a while.
0: You said you jumped from high school to division one doesn't necessarily happen a lot nowadays. Uh, how long was your, you I,
1: I, I didn't jump. I, I jumped fairly quickly, but no, I went high school, junior college, D three. I kind of skipped D two to tell you the truth. And then I, I started work, but I didn't work a full schedule for, you know, two or three years. Probably I worked a little partial schedule.
0: And you, I see here, you worked seven years of division one. While you were uh, were you were you training for the NBA game, you know, on the side, or was it just an opportunity that presented itself?
1: It was an opportunity that presented itself. Uh, maybe some of the people remember that uh, Vancouver, Toronto, I think Charlotte, and Miami um, came into the league in eighty eight and eighty nine. And the league, partly, the league didn't feel they had enough guys who had worked large arenas in the back, uh, then it was the CBA which is today's uh, G League. And so they started looking around at the college and they were, they were looking at younger referees who were working college and working, you know, uh, like in the pack eight, I think back then and so forth. Um, and they came to a couple of my games and I was called, got a phone call and said, hey, we want you to come to a summer league. And I went to a summer league and uh, at the end of it, they offered me a contract. Uh, I was one of. Uh, let me see. I'm trying to remember. There was 18 the first year that were hired, and I was hired with seven uh, guys. Uh, Joe DeRosa being one of them, probably a, a name everyone knows. And um, by the end of my career, I was the only guy standing and left out of all those out that 20 group of 25. So, you know, a lot of luck, right place, at the right time. And then uh, if you get that shot, you know, try not to screw it up.
0: Let's just stay here in the n b a uh you know what year did you get your start um there and just take us through the first few years um you know working in the in the pros
1: first season was the eighty nine ninety season um first three to five years in the n b a you're just trying to get somebody to know who the hell you are you know and at the pro level, we don't go by ref coach anything like that. we go by first names um through first three to five years you're anonymous (laughs) and you hope you can just last long enough to somebody start to know your name. And um, you know, it's, it's a real, um, the first two, three years in the league, you're, you're learning a lot. I mean, you're learning how to get on a plane and be on time. And uh, you know, there's just so many things to it. Um, But I was lucky. I had, I had good mentors uh, uh, you know, when I came into the league and um, you know, 32 years later, uh, I'm talking about it, so.
0: Any um, notable games or, you know, players or experiences that just stand out? I'm sure there's a ton, but what just hit you?
1: You know, Paul, to tell you the truth, probably not a ton. Um, you know, uh, and other referees can relate. You kind of, especially in the NBA, you're kind of going game to game to game and just trying to remember where the hell you're going uh, half the time. But uh, some of the, a couple of the games I, I worked, Kobe's eighty-one point game. Wow! And um,
0: was Toronto so, playing any defense in that
1: game? Kobe was just hitting everything. They were trying. They were all. They were. He was hitting everything. Um, late in the game, I'm standing. I can't. I can't remember the player I'm standing next to, but it was an opposing player. Kobe was at the line. and I start hearing this chanting. I think it was like 73, 73, something like that. And I turned to the player and I went what's that about? 73? What, what are they talking about? He goes, Kobe's got 73 points. We can't stop him. He was playing Toronto. And I went, seriously? He's got 73 points? You know, you know as a referee, you're kind of uh, numb to all that. I knew he was making a lot of baskets, but I had no idea it's 73 points. And then, of course, he went on to make eight, eight more. Um, and I always reminded him that I worked his A1 point game and I was worth at least 65 of them.
0: Mm. You probably put them on the line 7 to 12 times, right?
1: Uh, I don't remember, thank you. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> uh, a couple other games. Uh, my very first uh, conference final game was uh, Boston and New York. And Boston came back from about 100 down to win in Boston Gardens. And it was so loud that um, Joey Crawford and I are trying to talk during a timeout. And we keep hearing this buzzing noise. And we found out, we were told later that it was actually the the stadium's noise coming down and hitting the parquet floor. And it kind of made this buzzing noise as it, you know, re- deflected off of it. So, you know, that's the first couple games that come to mind. But, I'm, you know, if I sat down and thought about it more, but, uh, you know, frankly, uh, after about the first uh, 100 after that, <laughs> you know, they start to run together a little
0: bit. Sure. Uh, I want to appreciate you sharing that. Just want to switch gears a little bit to some of the things you mentioned, you know, that you were passionate about. We talk about running the game so much in um, the different ways we can insert ourselves as leaders and crew chiefs, crew chiefs. And I'm trying to take a tough stance with the officials in this group, because I want to help produce a tough minded official who is courteous and respectful, but doesn't allow any nonsense to creep into the game and has the inner confidence to hold the participants of the game accountable. And I think we really connected last week on our phone call. We agreed that officials have kind of historically allowed coaches to get away with too much stuff. So what would you like to tell the officials listening about being courageous and running the game?
1: Well, I think the first thing, Paul, is that, you know, you can't take the path of least resistance and um particularly with coaches but players as well we have a saying in in the league called and we call it we just say what you permit you promote so if you allow something to occur if you allow a coach to keep stomping his feet and running up and down the sideline dropping clipboards as long as you're permitting that you're telling him that's okay to do you know you're you're fine just keep you know i'm I'm obviously not going to do anything so, uh, you can keep doing what you're doing. So, you know, like I said, what you permit, you promote. I think what can help with coaches more than anything is you know, you got to listen and, and all that. But one of the first things I'll say to a coach is we can't have a conversation of one of us is yelling. And immediately, hopefully, they calm down. And now you have them in a conversation. Tone rather than screaming and yelling at you. Um, don't yell, let them scream at your back. Turn around and if they're screaming about something, have the answer for them. Um, you know, the, 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 um, the, the 6-0 on the team fouls. Do you have a specific question about a particular play? Or are you saying that I'm cheating? And you know what, when we get to the second half, if it's 6-0 in your favor, what are you going to say then? So, you know, you kind of, let's put the coaches on the spot a little bit. Um, some of the things, I just wrote down some notes to myself. If you can hold a rule or tell a coach, for instance, uh, he wants traveling. Ask him, which foot do you have the pivot foot? Put him on the spot, make him answer. Yep. I've had coaches, well, it doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It has it does matter. And you got and that's when you can sit on you gotta know which is the pivot foot. I knew what was the left foot. I got his pivot foot right from the start. And so what, are, what is a coach going to say to that? Uh no, you didn't? He doesn't he, you just told him I got that play from the start. Um, you know, sometimes uh you get that high dribble and you know they immediately start yelling as uh-huh. what discontinued dribble. You can get to the coach and go, he stayed on top of that ball or on on the side of that ball. He did not get underneath it. He did not discontinue his dribble. That's a legal play. Another, uh, what else do coaches complain about? Player catches the ball and fumbles it. He might go a couple of different steps, right? But he hasn't caught the ball clean. And they're they're screaming travel. No possession, no travel, coach. You got to have the possession to travel. And again, what can they really say about that? They might argue he had possession or not, but guess what? He was bobbling the ball. Um, sometimes when I first got in the league, uh, Darrell Gerritsen, who was you know, probably the chief architect of the three-person system, he used to say to us that, answer legitimate questions, don't respond to statements. If the statement warrants a technical foul, then do it. And you tell, and you can say to him or her as well, I'm sorry. Um, Coach, you have a specific question about a specific play. I'm not going to entertain questions about everything, but you get, and and you put him on the spot. Uh, well, you know, they're hand checking us. Do you have a specific play you want to complain about? Or you want to talk about? Just don't give me generalities. Tell me who you got to play. And that puts them on the spot and coaches don't do well on the spot because they don't have an answer for a legitimate referee answer. They don't, they, they don't, they can't, they don't know how to answer that stuff.
0: Your answer is hitting me right in the chest. (laughs) I got to say, you know,
1: another one you can talk about, um, you know, the the, the old block charge, you know, everybody says, that's our toughest call. And we all know, referees that that's not true out of bounds is the hardest call hmm. um at least it always was my experience and i think most most referees will say that out of bounds because all of a sudden it just you know ball goes sailing by you and you have no idea how it got there but a block charge perfect thing to say to a coach is i had the defender from the start his feet were down and then he only yeah, had well he was leaning No, nope. he was firming up yeah, I, I, So I got to allow a defender to firm up and take a shot. Again, you're putting him on the spot. No, he didn't beat him to the spot. Yes, he did. Well, and, and all you keep doing is stay strong and stay uh, you know, um, committed to your play on a block charge. Coach wants to say, how was that block on my guy? I think in the college and high school level, it's when the defender leaves, I mean, the offensive player leaves the floor, he has to be in the spot. Is that
0: right? It 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 varies based on uh, if we're talking about a ball handler or an airborne shooter. Oh, a ball handler. So, I mean. Yeah. So on a, on a ball handler, he he can maintain his legal guarding position by moving sideways, obliquely, or backwards.
1: And and he has to be in has to be into a spot though before the offensive player leaves the floor. Is that what he, your guys' guidelines are?
0: He has to have established legal guarding position before the offensive player has left bef- bef- the floor different from the pro rule of the gather. Right. Exactly. And, and you and can that's still, why some people will yeah.
1: say, my God, the guy was there for, you know, a week and a half before he, he's got to be there when the gather starts. And that's usually a full step before the guidelines that you guys use.
0: Yeah. It's really important when we're discussing rules to differentiate, which, you know, organizations we work, we work for. Um I love what you were saying about putting the coaches on the spot by asking questions. We're not here to just answer questions. It's a great tool to reverse the dialogue and ask them questions and and getting to the specifics. You think we li- you think we're taught to listen too much to the coaches? Yes. But
1: let me qualify that as saying that um I had a reputation as a red ass very early in my career. You tend to calm down, but I just think coaches are psych, psychotics and, uh, um, they're you know, if you can get them answering questions rather than screaming and yelling at you, you, you get on an even, uh, 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 you know, footing. You said a, a real interesting word about obliquely. How about you say that to a coach? What is he going to say? He has no idea what you're talking about. And then he says, "What's that? Now you've got him. You're teaching him. You're talking to him. You're you're in control of the conversation." And you say, "Obliquely is moving from side to side. He never beats the man to the spot." An offensive player didn't lower his shoulder. Your guy has to get to a perpendicular
0: and beat him to the spot. Yeah, we need now, to. What they want
1: answers, and that's an answer.
0: Yeah, and we need to act as the expert. Yes you know, and, and not use language that can be debatable. A lot of, I think a lot of officials with their approach is they're trying to prove to the coach that they got the call correct. They're trying to defend their call instead of simply providing a rule-based explanation and then maybe asking them a question.
1: And you, we don't want to get too, uh, you know, uh, textbook, I mean, a uh, rule book lawyer-ish, yep. but if you can hit them with different things like I've, I've mentioned, and there's other things, listen, you guys have, some things that work for you. So continue with that. Um, and it's, you know, you have, to, you have to know your, you know, you have to read your room. You gotta know your coach. Um, so, you know, uh, know your people and, uh, and then, you know, go accordingly. If you have a coach that you know is gonna try and uh, intimidate and start screaming from the get-go, well, what you permit, you promote.
0: What are some other, uh, little quick hitters that you might have for, to de-escalate a coach who's being loud? You know, I know you said that we can't have a conversation if you're yelling, I'm sure you had other good tools in your bag, uh, for those instances.
1: Um, you know, um, I just had a, a remark and I left my, uh, left my brain real quick. Um, one that i used to use over the years was, you know you missed that call you missed that call eh, you might be right it's it's possible but not probable i got the call right um you know, you know again you're giving them an answer but then you're kind of backing it up with you know a little bit of humor saying yeah you might be right it's it's possible i missed that but not likely and not probable that i did and now you can say, I'm not missing every pa- a call here, coach. And so that, that lets them know that you're really not going to entertain commentary on every call. Another thing to tell a coach is, you know, coach, you complain on every call. So your credibility in terms of complaining about calls is kind of out the window because we're not missing every call out here. And you're complaining about every play. So... You know, you got to make some choices out here.
0: Would you say the players or the coaches were most uh, difficult to deal with in the NBA?
1: I think when I first came into the league, it was the uh, player. Uh, it was the coaches. Uh, we had, you know, some real old timers, the Chuck Daly. Um, um, I'm going to throw names out that you guys are too young to even know who they are, but Kevin Lockery and um, uh, Dick Motta, These guys were ruthless. and if you look at videotape uh, as opposed to the game today um, you don't see the the players circling the wagons around the trail official during free throws you didn't see that back then coaches were in your ear yeah no question but and the game has changed now I think it's more of a you have to deal with the players a lot more I think the NBA made a mistake some years back when they told us that you know, let's be a little more uh, patient. Let's listen a little bit more. Let's uh, you know, um, um, be a little more hesitant. And give technical fouls, and that just opened the the door. And and you know, once you open the the uh, the dam door, uh, the, the gate to the dam, there ain't no putting the water back. So I think that was that happened about halfway through my career, and. You know, I think that um, uh, when they let the genie out of the bottle a little bit, it was really tough to get him back in. Now we have different guidelines. You know, the wave off, and the uh, the different you know uh, physical reactions are automatic. Um, you know, how many how many of us on the floor getting a technical foul? What did I do? Right? Player says, "What did I do?" Or the coach says, "What did he do?" I used to tell a player, you don't know what you did? Well, then that's the issue. You don't even know what you're doing out here. Now, again, I'm going to be a smartass a little bit. But, well, if you don't know what you did and you got a technical foul for it, I suggest you learn what you did.
0: Yeah, you know, I agree with that. I think think we need to stop explaining technical fouls to coaches. That's a given. Like, we don't need to tell an adult why they misbehaved. That's kind of my philosophy, right? Um, With the NBA players, same thing. I mean, if they don't have the self-awareness to know, as we start, you know, dropping down in levels, it's a good game management tool to let a coach know maybe why his player got one if he didn't see it. But I think we spend too much time explaining why.
1: Yeah, at the high school level and the lower, definitely high school for sure. Um, You know, an explanation to a coach, because then he'll, he will take care of his own player normally and you might sit them down or you might say you you can't say stuff like that um because you know they have a little more control over their players uh but i think an explanation now do you stop play and go over there no at the best convenient time now maybe sometimes you're you're supposed to go to the c well yeah guess what switch up the rotation and go to the t the trail and now you got a chance to calm your coach down and tell him what was going on.
0: Did you like to uh, initiate that switch sometimes if you felt like yeah. you needed to go manage the coach?
1: Yes, absolutely. When I first got in the NBA, we used to go, um, uh, you know, from call it official, went to the, uh, what we call the slot. You guys call the center. And after a couple of years, we switched that because we weren't getting a chance to dialogue with coaches and let coaches know that we're not going to let them scream across the floor as, and, but every once in a while, you just look at your partner or your partner looks at you and says, Hey, go explain it to him." I mean, you know, with just the body language of saying, I'm going to slot, you know, get your butt to trail and talk to him.
0: What's your philosophy and belief when your partner calls a technical foul? Um, what's your interaction with the coach leading up if, or after that, if any at all.
1: Well, it's a sore spot for to me and for me that your partner goes over to make good cop, and make every you know uh, think he's the good guy, and so forth. Um, I've had a couple different discussions in an NBA locker room that was not friendly for for someone doing that. Um, I think you should stay, should stay away from the coach. Uh, I, I think you've got to let. The situation played out a little bit, and now you're going over to a coach. He's screaming and pointing at your partner, and now it just doesn't look good. It looks like you guys are discussing your partner. You might be shaking your head now, and all everybody sees is the coach saying, your partner sucks. You're, you're nodding your head, and that doesn't make for you know, a great uh, crew dynamic. Uh, I always felt that when you give a technical foul, you're always a little discombobulated for a moment. I don't care how many years you've been refereeing. If you have a partner after you have uh, uh, reported your foul, technical foul, such and such, and you turn around and there's a partner waiting for you with the ball, let's say at the jump ball circle, Bill, go shoot down there, and and you want him to get you away from the coach. You don't go... On the side, down at the end that the coach just gave a technical foul to, and stand at the free throw—you know, at the uh, at the uh, in the uh, lane—you're just inviting, uh, you know, conversation. He should he should point you to get away from the coach, and you know, go down shoot there, go down shoot the other end, or you know, get your butt to slot and we got the shot. So I think that, and then I believe also that speeds the game along and doesn't give the coach this dead time to yell, scream and go crazy on you. And that's a good pregame thing to talk about. Hey, we have a technical foul. If I have a technical foul, when I turn around, I need one of you guys pointing me in the right direction. Mm. And if you have a technical foul, turn around, I'll be there with the ball and I'll tell you what, you know, And let's get this, you know, the free throws done and let's get the ball back in play.
0: That's a great partner there because it's so true during those few seconds we get discombobulated. Sometimes when I call a tech, I black out for like two seconds and I have to orient myself which side we're going to. So if we can have a partner come right in there and bring that proactive, you know, information um, that would be very helpful and and i I agree, I think so distance would you say is a key factor there, making yeah. sure your partner is is um, far enough away so you don 't break into jail, so to speak
1: yeah, absolutely, and you know what if you 're at the other end of the floor and he comes after you and he comes across me, guess what he teched himself you didn't tech, techno, give him a he teched himself it 's defendable, justified by the you know, you're a signer, the league office, whatever it may be, uh, that coach was out of control. He just came across half court. He's, you know, stomping up and down the sideline.
0: Just to cap uh, this topic, you know, the only time I feel like it's necessary being that part non-calling official to go talk to the coach is if he doesn't stop after that tech and he's very close to getting ejected. Then you're going to go and play offense in that moment and do your best effort to maybe calm him to a one, not going there to be a listener, though.
1: No, and and I don't think you want to get, you know, too close to the coach Mm -hmm. because now he's kind of got your ear. You know, get within three, four, three feet, perhaps, uh, and say, "Listen, you, you can't continue this. We're, we're going to start the game. You got to, you got to bring yourself under control. Don't tell a coach to calm down. Just tell him, can, can you help me and get yourself under control?'" Now the onus is on him, and you haven't given him that. Hey, you need to calm down. You need, or you yeah. know, or you're out of control. I need you to help me now. I need you to get yourself under control.
0: Because people <clears throat> na- people naturally don't want to be told what to do. They would like yes. options. So if you right. can provide options and solutions.
1: And, and- so I, can you help me? I love that. By, by get, I need you to get yourself under control. Can you help me with that? It's very disarming. At least it always helped me with that, especially with players in the NBA level. You know, or you turn to the captain and you go, hey, Paul, you, you got to get uh, Joe under control here. And guess what? Paul's going to get Joe under control.
0: It's because you're deploying them and you're almost empowering them yeah. to do what they do. If it's a captain, he's the leader of the team. You're empowering them to go be the leader and help you manage the game. So I think that's a good good tool. Go ahead.
1: And again, if he still won't get himself under control... Well, you, you get him the opportunity. His own teammate has told, dude, you got to calm it down here. And if he continues, listen, I did my best. I asked his captain to take care of it. He didn't do it. He didn't calm himself down. He, you know, again, he gave himself a technical foul.
0: This is great. Uh, I want to keep going down this road. Um, something I've been I've been thinking of that that I think we, we do too much during timeouts and during halftime and maybe even during postgame is I, I, I call I have this concept of I think coaches give us spam. They give us junk mail, right? They give us information that is totally inaccurate. Now, do you go in your junk mail folder and start opening it up and then sharing it and then reposting it and then commenting on your spam? You don't, but that's exactly what we do as officials. When a coach throws us spam, then we get together at the next time out and we know it's not a travel. and And we say, Bill, Bill, did you see a travel on that play? I mean, the coach wanted a travel. I didn't see it, you know? And then we start, that's just doubt creeping in. We allow this doubt. And I think that's- why I'm onto it because we get into self doubt, right?
1: We do, and <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> you know the, the way the, re, the referee travels. As soon as the guy, the player gets the ball, is you've got to identify the pivot foot, and I've said right foot, left foot, and that way you shouldn't be going to your uh, uh, partners and going, did, did I miss that travel? Because that's your primary, and they shouldn't be refereeing over there. So, But if you know, and if you're picking up that pivot foot, then again, you can answer that, uh, Coach. Right foot was his pivot foot. Didn't move it before the dribble. You're also telling the coach that you kind of know what the hell you're doing out there. You're not guessing. I knew the right foot was the pivot foot. And if he says, no, it was the left foot. No, it wasn't the left foot. He's right-handed. Most players will use their opposite foot from their hand as their pivot foot.
0: That's great information. That's great sequencing right there.
1: You know, I, I brought myself a little note here and, and my son is, uh, you know, starting to referee and starting to move up the ladder a little bit. And I said to him the other day, I said, so what were you thinking, what were you thinking about before the game? And he had a, he had a, a team that was from, I think back in Maryland, to tell you the truth, or they were far away. So I said, what are you thinking here? What, what, what's, you know, what, what? and he said, I don't, you know, the, you know, I said, hey, how about that road coach? Because again, they're psychotic. He immediately thinks he's gonna get screwed, right? I he, mean, he's walking on the floor th- thinking, I'm gonna get homered. I'm gonna get screwed. If you can get to him early and say, coach, you're not gonna get host here. We're gonna work hard. I care more about my game I care about who wins this game Mm. and hopefully I'll settle down a little bit you're you're recognizing that you know you're on the road I get it and you know if if I were you on my thing I was getting hosed too but look at you know it's not important to me who wins I'm here to get calls right and I'm going to work hard and so you're not going to get screwed tonight, okay and I think that lots of times that can really disarm them because they think automatically that they're going to get screwed, right? I mean, we've all been there. Road, you know, road coach thinks immediately he's going to get screwed.
0: What do you think of us allowing the language, screwed, hosed, we're getting crushed, we're getting killed? You know, I say we dic- we dictate the terms of the dialogue. You said what you permit us promote, what what we permit we promote similar t- similar things there um wh- how do you feel about managing that that kind of language
1: you know i think you need to again read the room you know if he's down by 50 and he's just frustrated you got to give the guy some room uh, you know i mean you gotta again you gotta read the room you gotta know what's going on um, that, that's mostly a statement and again unless the statement goes overboard or the statement is very derogatory you don't have to answer that you don't need to reply to a, 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 a general statement. And again, you got a specific play you want to talk about. I can answer questions about specific plays, but I'm not going to answer you know, a statement like that.
0: Was that one of your main replies when you, you, know, when you addressed a, a comment that wasn't a question, knowing that you didn't want to address it, but you felt like you had to manage him in that moment? Or you
1: turn and say, you know, he complains. Oh, yeah, you know, i I said, do you have a question? I can answer a question for you, but I, you know, I'm not going to really, you know, address if you're just yelling, screw.
0: Patrick, I know you uh, You were adding on to one of the conversations we had. Um, you can unmute yourself if you have a question or something else to add. Go ahead.
1: Patrick, I'm reading what you said, and you're right. That is, you're, you're right on the money there, because... You know, if, if his own teammates can't get him to calm down, then they're gonna they're gonna go after him. And now, guess what? You're out of it. <laughs> now it's between this teammate stuff, and you're out of it. Nice. Who scored?
0: So this is clearly the game management communication with coaches uh, portion of the podcast. Uh, while we're still on it, does anybody else have any? any questions for bill uh, about these topics they got it all figured out bill excellent that's (laughs) all it takes (laughs) all right let's talk about film um i know you mentioned one of the things that you wanted to expand on was honest self-tape breakdown just talk to me about your film process what you learned from it and tips you have for the group to watching film
1: so um, when I when I uh, first got in the NBA, I had really not seen very much videotape myself, and uh, you know that camera don't lie, right? I think there's two things to remember: is one, it's never going to be as good as you think it's going to be. When you're walking, in, you can't wait to see a tape because you thought you were so good, and guess what? Uh, maybe you weren't so good. On the converse side, is you walk in there and you go, man, I I was horrible tonight, terrible. And then you look at the tape, and you're probably not as bad as you thought you were. Um, mm. but the, the honest part, uh, we used to call uh, the guys, yeah, butts, and that's the guy saying, Yeah, but you know, see, he just ticked them right there, and, and all that. Um, you know, sometimes you just gotta say, Yeah, yeah, you're right. If you know, maybe you have a mentor that's you know, about every call, but. You know, be honest with yourself. Did you have a good look? Did you have a closed look? Did the player turn away from you? Could you have held the whistle a little longer? Did you think that was a cheap and one? And, but more than anything, just you got to be honest with yourself. Pick yourself apart. That's just a, um, the nature of refereeing is not you're not going to be perfect. And the object is to be pretty damn good every night that you go out on the floor. And if you can do that, then, you know, you'll be okay. Um, that was my biggest challenge when I first got into the league because every night's, you know, every night's like a playoff game. I mean, you got the 400 best basketball, uh, basketball players in the world and um, uh, you, you can't be great one night and then be mediocre the next night. You, you better be just pretty damn good every single night, shoot for excellence you know, shoot for perfection, I guess, but you understand that excellence is is awfully good.
0: What was what was it like um, as far as your film review when you were working in the NBA? I know you guys break down film a lot, post-game, um, you know, pre-game. Talk, talk to me about your process there.
1: Uh, again, when they first got in the league because it was, you know, there was 25 or 20 guys that you know, were brand new into the league you had to learn the pro. Uh, So we used to watch a lot of post-game videotape, a lot. Um, And, um, you know, the crew chief would, uh, you know, just kind of run the show. Um, You know, as a crew chief, I think what you can do to really facilitate some learning is that when you're watching a tape, pick out some of your plays first. Um, uh, Criticize yourself. Uh, yourself first Uh, you know say to the the guy hey you know I should I shouldn't have had a whistle right away with you on that and I think you can really make the room comfortable and that we're all in this together Um, as a a crew chief or a a mentor you don't want to take that role of you know um, you know just putting the guy down putting the 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 lady down um, right from the get-go Uh, you know take a shot at yourself a couple times and that will make them accept some criticism and uh, I think it just makes for a better dynamic in in a film room
0: when you first started watching yourself on film what what were some of your uh, biggest takeaways and observations from seeing yourself
1: oh wow that's a long time ago Paul Mm. Uh, (laughs) I remember, I, I'll tell you a funny story. I found a, uh, a VHS tape, for God's sake, of, a, of um, I worked the state junior college championships in California. And I think it was like about three or four years ago I got in the NBA. And I threw it on not too long ago. I, I got it, um, you know, uh, switched to a, CD, a DVD. And I was just, oh my God, how did I get to the NBA? I suck. i was just watching all the different things that i was doing and i was shaking my head and i looked at my son and said don't do that stuff okay i said but back then you know that was accepted charging charging plays uh you know uh the selling of calls i'm a big believer that the more animation you put into your call you receive that thing that same feedback that's the reaction that they have Whereas a lot of times, you know, not not slot, but just boom, red, you know, green, out of bounds, just sharp, sharp signals. I don't think you need to start at the baseline, and end up at the free throw line, selling a call. Um, I, I think that just brings more animation, and and the coaches react to that. Whereas if you just, you know, boom, blue, and a nice sharp point, foul. Um, uh, you tend to get, I think, less reaction. But, you know, going back to the tape, you know, look for your idiosyncrasies and look, you know, be really um, honest and, and don't be afraid to criticize yourself. You know, like, oh, gosh, I, I don't like the way I, I report that foul. I just I didn't like that. Uh, watch your, uh, you know, I learned as much watching guys work and thinking to myself, that'll work for me. Eh, that's not my part of my game. I wouldn't that wouldn't be good for me um, uh, you know get to me as many games as you can, watch the older referees and you know say to yourself, uh, "Oh, I'm not going to do that um, or hey oh, it's good I'm going I'm to do that." Uh, you can pick up all, you can learn a lot of stuff from other referees and and the videotape, of course.
0: Bill, you're showing some real strong points on Zoom here. I'm watching you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, those days have passed me by, but, you know, I hey.
0: And I love what you said about not selling calls. It's, it's a topic we hit on a lot here. And I noticed the correlation between overselling or just selling of calls and being, being wrong. Yeah. You know, officials do it because they don't feel like they got it right. So they try to put on a show.
1: You know, something just popped in my head. The other thing I think that you you should watch yourself is are you jumping at plays? Uh, Meaning, are you, oh, you know, Mm. a foul like that instead of, boom, foul. Mm. Are you jumping at plays? Normally that means that your timing's off and or you're not refereeing the defender. And it kind of makes, you know, other referees know that you have that little bit of a surprised look and um you know if you can just you know don't jump up you shouldn't be hopping you shouldn't be you know jumping on plays just you're out there not to watch the game you're out there to work and referee and run the game
0: albatista had a had some good tips on being in the lead and not being jumping keeping your weight on your back foot yes thought um, that was great
1: and, and, the, and the danny crawford uh who was one of the best referees the NBA ever had, he used to talk a lot about keeping the air down low. Mm -hmm. Don't let the air creep up, creep up, creep up. You know when we have those plays, four or five rebound, put back, put back, put back. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden the air started down here, but then every put back, the air gets here. And now you got a quick whistle on a play that, you know, maybe if you kept the air down and you slowed yourself down, you got in the whole play.
0: I'm glad you brought up that play type. Cause that's a specific play type that actually tells me the person can really ref or has a high pain tolerance when they could just sit there and no call, no call, you know, if it's incidental or, or not yeah. a legal contact, but those are hard plays. Cause like you said, there's a lot of pressure. It's loud, rebound, multiple players. So, um, keeping yeah. your belly low. Great tip.
1: Um, the other day uh, I went to, uh, one of my uh uh, son's game and and um one of the guys you know was just um was jumping too much and um uh you could just tell that he he was just too wound up and you know calm yourself down referee the defense just call plays that's all you're you know just call the plays you don't need to add anything to it really and again i think that sometimes when we get a little bit too animated, that's the reaction that you're going to get.
0: And being an animated calls is definitely a, a big part of like, you know, older officiating, right? Wouldn't you say it was way more pre- prevalent back in the day? Completely. It's part yes. of the culture, more accepted. Part of, the,
1: part of the philosophy back then is, again, we're going back to it. You got to sell your calls. You got to sell your calls. Well, if you, if you're selling a lot, guess what? They're not buying it anymore so if you're going to have to sell a call which is fine you know you're to, we all have to sell one one at some time or another then but if you're only selling once or twice a game or once a game then they might be buying it but if you're selling like six eight calls and uh you know getting a little over wound up they're gonna your believability is gonna start dropping with every time that you try to sell try and sell try and sell well Everyone, they're going to buy a little less all the time.
0: I think on those plays where we we feel like we need to kind of over communicate what happened, um, maybe you know, selling with multiple tweets or just a well timed tweet pause cadence with your signal there. I, I find the strength in simplicity a lot of the times.
1: Agreed. I, you know, I, I was you know the, the thing I was going to talk about is I went to my son's game and. um, there is a the uh, one of the referees you know one of those games that you just don't have a lot of plays mm-hmm. you know it's just they, they're just going away from you or the other guys have a lot of the whistles and I told him after the game they asked me to come to the locker room and you know we'll just see and I said I was really impressed by you not having that self-conversation of man I gotta get in the game I gotta I get and you didn't start reaching out You didn't start saying you know i gotta get some calls here and i get you stayed back you just worked your primary and then in the second half you started you know you got a couple more of the calls i said you know you really showed me good refereeing that you didn't get caught up and i gotta i gotta get some plays i gotta get some calls here i got um on the same token you got a guy that's not having a lot of calls and you're the crew chief and you've been around 100 years and everybody believes what you have If you got a double whistle. We'll be charging to the table, taking it. Let your young guy take it. Let, let, let him take the call. You've had a whistle on it. Everybody believes you. Now you're giving him. And now the coach says, hey, coach, I had the same play. I had the exact same call. We had double whistle on it. I had the same play. So uh, I was impressed with this guy, the way he did that. He was confident that, you know what? I'm going to stay in my area here. I'm not going to start reaching because I feel like I haven't had enough whistles.
0: And the natural tendency when refs feel like they don't have enough whistles is to start judging themselves and saying, Oh, I'm missing, I'm missing something. What am I missing? Yeah. I got it. I got to get in this game. I'm not, I don't have it today.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And guess what? Sooner or later, the plays will come to you, you know, just uh Hey, if you get off the floor that night, and you, you know, you're you're batting. You got a better chance of having a better batting percentage. The, you know, the less calls that you have, but you know what? That's like the, uh, you know, the third base umpire, the left field umpire in the World Series. You you know you don't do anything for uh, eight and two thirds innings, and now you got a banger that's a foul ball with you know right down the line. You know you might have been whole whole game. I don't have a lot of plays. I have a lot of plays. And all of a sudden, the last two minutes of the game, you got them all. So, you know, be careful what you wish for.
0: I was producing some content today on on self-talk and, uh, you know, different ways we self-talk in the game. What were some ways that you kind of uh, were speaking to yourself uh, during the game?
1: You know, uh, Monty McCutcheon, the, the supervisor of officials in the NBA, said something a couple of years ago. That really got my attention. He said, refereeing is a constant dialogue with yourself. Every play you get down, and and let's say you settle into the lead. I used to say a little bit, you know, farther back in my career, okay, referee the defense. You know, always always get back. If you're struggling, go back to fundamentals. Are you refereeing the defense? Are you jumping at plays? Are you keeping the whistle, the air down? You know, am I going too fast? Those are the basic fundamentals. Uh, You you know, that that self-dialogue and or, all right, we're in the bonus situation. We're in penalty. Um, It's got to be there. You can't be guessing at place. So awareness, you know, again, you're not out there to watch the game. You're out there to referee the game, constantly talking to yourself, constantly saying to yourself before every throw-in, check the clock. Uh, You you know, you got to kind of a, 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 a quasi-steal, did he get it, did the team get it back, guys going out of bounds, did he grab the ball and control the throw, the throwback, or did he bat it? You're thinking to yourself, all right, whatever he does with that ball, I'm going to check the, game, the shot clock. I'm going to see if, did he control it, did they reset it, did he not control it, did they reset it, and so forth. And it's just a peek up, but clock awareness, it looks sharp. You look like you're in the ball game and you're running the game. When you pick up, um, um, you know, before the throw-in, uh, you, you got a high school kid running the clock. Boom, th- I need it at 35. Or, boom, I need it at 25. Well, I tell you what, you, that's an opportunity. You show that you're running the game. Hmm.
0: I speak to a lot of officials, and one of the most common things or one of the most common topics we talk about is partners and they're always asking, you know, how to work with partners of various skill levels, uh various personalities. Um I find that we we ju- and Mark Wonderlick said this great and it was an eye opener for me. I, I we judge ourselves too much during the game and we judge our partners' calls too much during the game. What do you have to say about judging ourselves and, and partners?
1: I I'm Mark is uh, one of the finest teachers of uh, referee there is. Um he's right what you want to do is to not judge your partner's calls or so much as is the, the, does it fit the game is he is uh, is he putting whistles on players she putting whistles on plays like cheap uh, and ones um you, you know maybe during a timeout you might want to say um um Hey, how'd you like that? How'd you like that last play? What'd you think? And maybe they'll they'll say, Yeah, it was a kind of a cheap and one. Well, now you guys are working together. Um, or you go and say, Hey, what'd you think about that uh and one I had? And, and you know, hey, be tell me the truth. that eh, was kind of a cheap one. Okay, all right, thanks. And now, guess what? Now you're partners. Mm. Um, the the you judge your play. Well, yeah, we all kind of judge a play, but you're not you' you're you're judging it to you know it's part of the game a little bit, but now you're judging it and now you can help him with it if or help him or her with it if they ask you about the play.
0: Absolutely. Anybody have any questions for Bill? I know we are we are grooving right now, but feel free to step in. All right. So we talked about, Oh, here's what, let's get into mentoring. This is crown refs mentor. So uh, let's talk about mentoring before we get into that. Um, You obviously have a son you you mentioned. uh, I know drew drew has been a a supporter of crown refs pretty much since the beginning. Um, So just talk to me about your relationship with drew and what it's been like kind of mentoring him through officiating.
1: Well, the first thing, because it's my son is I, um, I try to keep a real low profile with it. And I usually get in the car if I go to the game with him and I don't say anything until he asks me about the play or he asks me about, so what do you got for me? And then I'll start giving. I always give him two or three things that I think he did really well at the outset. And then, hey, you know, think about this on that play. Or did you like that play? And again, you're engaging with them um you know m- mentoring i i really owe my career to a lot of good mentors uh you know you be selfless and if you're going to be a mentor be prepared to that your mentee might fly by you hmm. and that happens pretty frequently and if you're not equipped to take pride in that and that's going to make you envious or jealous then you shouldn't be a mentor a mentor is someone who really um it's it's not about self it's about helping someone and uh and and you know giving back to because i guarantee you that on the way up somebody helped you and so i think that's one of the great things about this fraternity is that you know what you got to give back at some point
0: You know, and I would like everybody on this call to, to surpass me. And if you haven't already, you know, like that, and and you take that philosophy or that mentality into the people that you guys and gals are going to develop. And, and you want those people to, to elevate to, you know, a level that maybe you can't get to. And, and cause you, you helped get them there.
1: Yeah. That's pretty satisfying too. It really is. Um, I, I really enjoy Like I said, you know, my son's starting to referee. And I go to the games and I, uh, I, I don't go down to the locker room unless he texts me to say the guys want you to come in. Um, but it's, it's, it's great to um, see a guy that you might have mentioned some things to. And all of a sudden now his career's starting to take off. And uh, that's, that, that's very fun to me. If you didn't be a mentor, take joy in that. Take joy in someone, you know, really uh, uh, upping their game because you helped them a little bit. And like I said, maybe one day they might pass you by, but that's how life works.
0: When did he start to develop the interest where you guys started talking, having officiating conversations was it something he always did?
1: Uh, he, he started at the uh, local youth association. Uh, I, I mentioned it to him. I say, hey, you know, you make a little extra money, you might, you know, try refereeing, you might like it, you know, I said, but if you don't, that's okay, too. And I think he was one of those, like a lot of us probably that you fell in love with the first time you're on the floor. Uh, you just, there's something about it. It's that it's that um, that challenge of being, you know, perfect, which we're not going to get there. And so um, after a couple of years, when he was 16, 17, he joined the high school association. <clears throat> and um, I remember going to one of his games and I said, called my wife and said, geez, kind of looks like he knows what he's doing a little bit so he's not you know pretty, looks pretty good and she goes well yeah what do you think he's been doing for the last you know 15 18 years <laughs> i don't know what what he's been watching you and all the other nba guys for that long so he better know what the hell he's doing a little bit um but you know you like I said I, I when i go to those games I, I wait till he asks me something and then i'll you know give my give my feedback on it
0: now, he mentioned your father was a ref as well.
1: No, actually, my father-in-law okay. um, was uh, Paul Mahalik, is Paul Mahalik, still living. And he was an NBA referee for many, many years, like 27 or 28. And I uh, quick personal story is his, his daughter went to one of his games in Cleveland. I was working in Cleveland with him. He had asked me for my tickets after the game. The family is going to have some dinner. I said, hey, you want to come to dinner? and went to dinner and met this blonde that was i didn't know was his daughter right away and uh 26 seven years later we're still there mm. oh so, kind of a, a lot of people think a lot of people ask me so did your father-in-law get you into the league and i was like no i was in the league for seven years before <laughs> you know um uh, before i met his daughter
0: very interesting. How did that relationship play out, um, you know, with you being inspired by him and what you learned from him?
1: Well, I, after his daughter and I had gone out a couple handful of times, I went to his room and said, hey, you know, you got a man who'd like to talk to you about something. And he, I think he kind of had an inkling of it. And so I walked in and said, look, I said, I don't know if you are aware, but Chris and I haven't seen each other. And you have a problem with that. You know, now's the time to tell me. I also was very aware he was a hunter. So he had many, a lot of ammunition and guns. Uh, That was quite aware of that. And I just said, oh, hey, you know, if you got a problem with that, let's, you know. But for about a year, we kept it under, you know, under the down low. We didn't let many other NBA people really know about it
0: very kind of need
1: to know basis.
0: So there's definitely some pedigree within uh, your, your family lineage. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there is.
0: Hey everybody. Sorry to cut that episode short, but if you are looking for the full hour and 45 minute interview with Bill Spooner, you can find that exclusively on Patreon.com backslash crown refs. Would love to have you join our community. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the crown
1: refs podcast. Serve the game.